the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Now, that's 800. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenlee, and with me in the studio is my wife, Alexandra. Welcome. Thank you for joining us. We're from the National Prayer Chapel. And we're glad you're listening today. We have a wonderful, wonderful story to share with you. You know, I was raised in a denomination, a Christian denomination, that believed that they had the truth. They spoke of it in terms of the world needs to know the truth, and the truth was their theology. The truth was their understanding of Scripture. It was not about Jesus. They did not consider Jesus to be the truth. Truth was information and doctrine that was according to their experience, and they based their doctrine on their experience. You know, I find the scriptures do not base truth on information. In scripture, truth is a person. His name is Jesus. I read in John, the 18th chapter, After these things, Jesus went out with his disciples on the other side of the brook of the Kidron, where there is a garden into which he himself entered and his disciples. Now Judas, the one betraying him, had also known the place because Jesus met there many times with his disciples. Then Judas, after having taken a band of soldiers and servants from the chief priests and Pharisees, he came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. And Jesus, having known all things concerning him, after having gone out, said to them, Who do you seek? And they answered, Jesus, the Nazarene. And Jesus said to them, I, I am he. Now Judas, the one betraying him, had stood with them. And then as soon as he said to them, I, I am he, he drew back and fell to the ground. Then again he questioned them, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus the Nazarene. And Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. Then if you are seeking me, you must allow these men to go, that the word might be fulfilled that said, Those whom you have given to me, I did not lose anyone from among them. And Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. Now the name of the servant was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, You must put your sword into the sheath. This cup that the Father has given to me, might I never drink it? I think it's time for we who call ourselves Christians to put our swords away and recognize that it's Jesus who is the truth. He speaks the word. But he is the truth. He is the word. When I read this story, they come looking for Jesus, but they don't come looking for the truth. They want to kill Jesus because he is in disagreement with their truth. Sometimes I grow so weary of being a Christian pastor because so many people have the truth 
They have their doctrinal beliefs. They have their understandings out of their experience, and they're willing to kill to protect their truth. Jesus told Peter, put your sword away. Even though he was protecting Jesus, who is the truth, what do you think he would say to us when we're just protecting our little realm of understanding? There must be a great cry in our hearts for Jesus, for he is the truth. We've been sharing a story chasing the dragon and the reason we've been spending so much time is that sometimes we can get past our theological battle by understanding a story it's time to lay our swords down oh I don't mean to lay down Jesus I don't mean to lay aside what Jesus has said to us but our man made doctrines our man-made rules, man-made regulations, man-made religion. It's time to lay all that aside and simply be for Jesus and to seek him with all of our heart and to love those around us. The word of God was always to love. He said God is love. To walk humbly before God, reaching out to those around us, serving the poor, serving those who can't help themselves. So we're going to share a story again today of, of chasing the dragon. I pray that as we share this, your heart will just relax and you'll look at Jesus and you'll say, how utterly magnificent is this man who was willing to change these humble people. Not humble in the beginning, arrogant, addicts, wicked, in every way evil, but suddenly transformed by Jesus, by the presence of the Holy Spirit. It puts my understanding of the gospel in this modern America to utter shame. Well, let's read, Alexandra. We're sharing from Chasing the Dragon by Jackie Pullinger. Jackie Pullinger has been in Hong Kong for over 50 years now, setting up homes for men, women, children, the elderly, babies, who didn't have a home. And they were converted. They came to Jesus. But they had to be saved from their evil environment if they were to really grow in love and mature as Christians. So she's sharing her experience of the early days of living with these boys and girls in the homes. She says, I was also much heartened by the boys another time when I arrived home exhausted and deeply worried about the situation in the house. Mary had left, the two youth workers had departed. I was feeling quite unable to manage the many converts, plus a succession of boys referred by prison workers. I wondered if people in other countries could have the problems with new Christians that I did, because I certainly did not read about them. Please find me a nice, encouraging Bible verse, I asked the boys, feeling too tired to give them a teaching lesson. 
After thumbing through the Bible for a few minutes, the most encouraging thing any of them could find was a very depressing text from Revelation. Enough of that, I decided. Let's pray instead. As we were praying, I had a message in tongues, and one of the boys interpreted it immediately. He'd only been to school for a couple of years in his life. He could not read the Bible, and he'd only believed in Jesus for a few days before this event. But his interpretation was a clear, direct quotation from the Psalms. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. He who goes out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with him. Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. In vain you rise up early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. These spiritual babes, through the working of the Holy Spirit, were able to say exactly the right words to me at that time. Thus ministered to, I could not agree with those who considered spiritual gifts merely an optional extra. It was no wonder that St. Paul exhorted us to desire these gifts, for their purpose is to edify one another and thus glorify God. I knew that God would provide for me, but as the family in Lung Kong Road grew, I was amazed to see our income grow, too. Ever since I had stopped teaching full-time, I found that I received all that I needed. I was able to pay for the rent, the youth club room, and my Chinese language lessons. Sometimes a check would arrive in the mail. Sometimes a friend would give exactly the same amount as I had been praying for. When I wanted to buy a rubber boat for a swimming expedition with the boys, a friend sent the right amount from England without knowing the need. Now, while we never had enough money to pay for the next week's food or rent, we always had enough for each day. This was exhilarating for the boys, who felt they had a real part in God's work when they prayed each morning for their daily bread. Sometimes an anonymous sack of rice would appear on the doorstep. On one occasion, it was a coffee table. Every Sunday after the morning meeting, we invited many people to lunch with us all at Lung Kong Road. A number of guests needed the good meal, so it was sad when one Sunday I had to tell the boys that we had no money for food. Boil the rice anyway, and we'll pray for something to put on top, I said. Ten minutes before lunch, a panting and sweating visitor arrived carrying tin cans of food and fresh bean, bean sprouts. His Kowloon Bible class had made a collection for us on the spur of the moment and sent him with their gifts. The young man, William, enjoyed being an answer to prayer just as much as the 30 of us enjoyed the huge meal only 10 minutes later. It was an exciting way of life. I committed many mistakes during these days, but God honored the spirit in which I did them. One evening I had the flu and was sitting at home feeling blurry when in marched Gu Jai. He was a famous kung fu fighter, having been the champion and renowned expert amongst the 14K Walled City brothers. He was one of the few who had received any education at all. He was clever and his English was good. He was also now a wreck of a drug addict, fallen both in status and usefulness to the gang. 
I often found him sleeping in the streets or staircases near my home because both his parents and his triad brothers had kicked him out. Could you please lend me your typewriter, Miss Poon? He asked me earnestly. You see, I can get paid a little money if I help somebody with his Chinese translation and type a letter. This will give me enough money for my heroin today, so I won't have to steal it or hold someone up. I knew that he was hoping to quit drugs, but the flu must have impaired my judgment. I let him take the typewriter on the condition that he brought it back the same evening. Later that night, he telephoned me. Miss Poon, I'm sorry, but I can't give it back quite yet because I've been asked to do another job. Isn't that good? I have to type out 200 invitations for a Lunar New Year party. Please, how do you spell Lunar? This all sounded quite credible to me, until I put the phone down and thought about it. How ridiculous. No one in Hong Kong types their letters 200 times. It's so quick and easy to get them printed. Of course he'd pawn the typewriter, and that was the last I would see of it. Some of the other boys from the walled city found out what Gujai had done and were very angry. They threatened to beat him up and hounded him, although I told them, Never mind, all right, he's made a fool of me, and I lost my typewriter. But so what? Jesus lost his life. A typewriter is nothing in comparison. I was willing to take the risk because I wanted to help him, and it's my fault, not his. Just forget about it. But I heard that he had to go on the run for some time, and that all the gangsters were angry with him. Three months later, God produced the first positive result. My typewriter appeared in the bookcase in my flat. I did not know how it had got there, so I questioned Ah Ping as to what had happened. He finally admitted that Goko, when he heard what Gujai had done, had been so upset that he had sent his men after him. They found him and then demanded that he hand over the pawn ticket. Then Goko had gone to the pawn shop and paid his own money to redeem my typewriter. He then sent it back without a message. Once more, I sent an urgent demand to Goko, for I wanted to thank him for what he had done. Once more, we had a tea party. In this incongruous setting, I talked to the powerful gang boss who ran illegal businesses with one hand and protected a missionary on the other. Thank you very much for the typewriter, I said, avoiding his name, for I felt that I could hardly address him as my brother, which his name implied. It's nothing, nothing at all, he replied, looking very embarrassed. You've touched my heart deeply, I continued, so I would like to explain something to you. Goko was puffing cigarettes furiously, lighting one before finishing another, and then stubbing it out again after a few gasps. Gujai is a bad boy. He should not have done that to you, Goko said. But you had no reason to redeem my typewriter yourself, I continued. I'm not your friend. I'm against you, and I have come here because I want to destroy what you stand for. Then I told him something of what Christ had done when he redeemed us with his own blood, buying back our lives with his own life while we were still his enemies. Goko listened and looked almost shy. Avoiding my eyes, he paid the pill with a $500 note and fled. But he'd listened to the story of redemption. The second result was that Gojai's guilty conscience made him vulnerable. 
Once more during my wanderings, I fell across the faded fighter sleeping on the pavements and staircases. He saw the change in Winston and Ah Ming, and he was envious. His desire to be a new person grew until the day he prayed with us, went into Pastor Chan's rehab center, and exchanged his syringe for a cross. Those gangsters who had hounded Go Jai could not dismiss what happened to him. He not only came off drugs, but also went to Bible school for some years and became a pastor. Looking back at the experiences of those years in Lung Kong Road, I have mixed emotions. It was a time of learning and of growing up. Often I was in awful confusion. I find it easiest to express what I feel in the words of St. John. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. The pains of that time can be forgotten, for they gave birth to many children and to a partnership with the Willenses. These things brought me great joy. One day, I was in Causeway Bay Magistry listening to a case when I spotted David. He was squatting in the dock. He was a friend of Aming's, whom I had met on the bench at Winston's, at, at Winston's baptism the previous year. David had pleaded not guilty to his charges. However, when he saw me, he had a great pang of conscience. He began to pray and pleaded guilty. After hearing his case, the judge decided to let him off, and David came out of the courtroom in a daze. Coffee, I suggested, as we walked out. In deference to my choice, he and his colleagues bypassed the chicken's feet, the entrails, and other delicacies deployed, displayed in the restaurant window, and joined me at a coffee shop. David announced that he was ready to follow Jesus completely. Having seen the mess <clears throat> pardon me, he had just emerged from in court, I thought we should inform his gang boss that he would be leaving the triads, as it would be so much better if he could make a complete break with the criminal world. Who is your big brother, David? I asked. He looked terrified and shifted about on his plastic seat. He won't want to see you. But what is his name? I persisted. His nickname is Jesus. David said out of the side of his mouth, hoping that the other sitting there had not heard him. But he won't want to see you. Why don't you ask him? If you're going to be a Christian, you can't follow two different leaders called Jesus. You must decide which one. Okay, said David. I'll try to find him. And he went to the telephone, and while we waited, David's friends ate pink ice cream while I drank more cups of coffee. At last, David came back looking surprised. He'll see you. You're to go to Block 20 of Chanway Resettlement Estate at midnight tonight and find the noodle stall. Someone will meet you there and take you to Jesus, but you must take $100. Why $100? 
Well, nobody in Chaiwan knows you, Miss Poon, David replied. It's not as if it were the walled city where you are protected. Chaiwan is a very dangerous area at night, and you might get mugged. If you have a hundred dollars, they'll take it and leave you alone. But if you have nothing, they'll be angry and beat you up. Don't be silly, I reasoned. I haven't got ten dollars, let alone a hundred. I'm not taking money. If I am on God's business, then he will look after me. And anyway, if he would help you to understand how much God loves you, then I wouldn't mind dying. I have nothing to lose. David looked at me, incredulous for a moment, and then said, You're crazy. You're mad. But he glanced at his friends and said, we never met anyone who would die for us before. I arrived by minibus at 11.30 p.m. and spent a little time looking around Taiwan. This enormous area at the end of Hong Kong Island consisted of resettlement blocks where tens of thousands of people were housed by the government. Each family had one room to live, eat, and sleep in with communal toilets and showers at the end of each floor. The street level was humming with life, and at night, as hundreds of people sat in fold-up seats eating their bedtime snacks at the shacks and portable noodle carts, which abounded. Midnight came. I was waiting at the Block 20 noodle stall, which turned out to be down a narrow, dark corridor. Refuge, refuse, had been tipped into the gutter below, and there was a, a runnel of little gray noodles swimming past my sandals. I was so absorbed in that noodle race that I didn't see my guide approach. What do you want? The curly-haired Cantonese lolled against the wall and spoke through the cigarette stuck to his lips. Take me to your leader, I replied, clutching my huge evangelical Bible firmly. Who do you want to see? He was testing me. I want to see Jesus. Well, why do you want to see Jesus? I want to tell him about my Jesus. The man looked amused and then laughed to himself. Are you sure you want to see Jesus? He meant to sound sinister, but it felt like the part of a bad film to me. I'm sure. Well, what do you want to talk about? I want to tell him about my Jesus, I replied. The man changed legs and shut his eyes, and then with a, a gesture thumbed himself as he grinned. You're talking to him. Jesus and I sat in a calf while I opened my big Bible and told him about my Jesus. Something happened while we were sitting there. He understood what I was saying. He simply understood it all. It was as if the Holy Spirit had come down over our formica table. He sat there with tears streaming down his cheeks, quite oblivious of his surroundings, including the pretty waitress. He prayed and asked Jesus into his life and was baptized in the Spirit in the midst of our coffee cups. You know, I read stories like this. I want that same kind of 
wonderful Holy Spirit power that when I share the gospel with you, tears begin to flow down your face. Many of you have been vaccinated against Jesus. You have your cultural religion. You have your cultural truth based on experience of your own or the experience of other men. But to simply come to Jesus and put your faith in him. This man, a criminal, a gang criminal, uh, selling prostitution, selling heroin, robbing, murdering, doing every vile and unclean thing, sits down with, with this woman. And she tells him about Jesus, and he is overcome with tears. He's a tough guy. Tough guys don't cry. But he cries because he sees who God is. The Holy Spirit reveals it to him. And then the baptism of the Holy Spirit comes in power. And his life is transformed right there at that Formica table with coffee cups. You see what I mean? We're, we're so sophisticated in all of our knowledge and all of our practices and all of our books and all of our cultural religion. Have you ever really met Jesus? Do you know him? Are you sharing Jesus like this with others? If you say to me today, Pastor, I know Jesus, are you sharing him like this? And is the result the same in your life? I've been sharing Jesus with everybody I talked to this week. I have yet to have this kind of response. I'm standing by faith, I will. And I'm not going to stop sharing the wonderful news of Jesus' love and mercy and compassion and his call to leave everything of this world behind and be transformed into the likeness of Jesus. I have seen some tears. I have seen some Christians who make a new commitment to pray. But I want to see much more than that, don't you? We pray before we go in the air and we ask Jesus to bring revival in your life while we're on the air to change you. To open your heart. To make that difference in your heart and mind. One of you wrote to me and you said, Pastor, I like the broadcast, but I'm too cynical. I'm cynical, he said. I said, well, that means you're withholding, doesn't it? Yes, that is what it means. I am withholding my life from Jesus. I believe intellectually that he is the Christ, that he is God, but I am holding my life back from him. I am afraid to give him everything. I am too cynical. Can this all really be true? Oh, my brother, my sister, it's true. Jesus loves you. He wants you to not fornicate. He wants you to not go to the pornography. He wants you to turn away from chewing tobacco. He wants you to turn away from alcohol and from heroin and from every other drug. 
from the pharmaceuticals. He wants you to turn away from pride and anger and bitterness. He's calling you to humble your heart before God, to lay it all down. He wants you. He loves you. Will you let that sink in a moment? Jesus came and died for you, and he loves you, and he thinks you are of wonderful value, but you are blocked from him by your sin. You are blocked from him by your wickedness, by the coldness of your heart. We need to bow our heads like this man did and just cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, I've been cynical and hard and unbelieving. I've withheld my life from you. I'm sorry. And some of you who are rejoicing today, and I know that too because some of you have written to me, some of you are rejoicing in Jesus today. Please go share that with somebody. Be bold. Be on the offensive. Share the gospel of Jesus with another person today. Well, enough of my sermon. Let's continue reading. It was about 3 a.m. when Jackie Pullinger left Chaiwan to catch a van back to Kowloon City and her neglected flat. She says, just before the van left, I remembered my discipleship training. Oh, by the way... You're supposed to tell at least one other person that you have believed in Christ today. Yes. I sped off after having fixed an appointment with him for the next day. When I saw the gang leader Jesus the next afternoon at a friend's apartment, I hardly recognized him. He looked bright and keen, unlike the seedy villain of last night's movie. Did you tell one person that you believed last night? I asked eagerly. No, I didn't, he replied. Disappointment gonged in my heart, but he continued, I told my whole gang. We stayed up until six in the morning looking at the verses you underlined in the Bible, and now they all want to believe too. The prostitute kissed Jesus' feet and poured perfume on them. The demon-possessed man who was healed sat dressed and in his right mind at Jesus' feet. The woman who'd been bleeding for twelve years touched his cloak, and when it was discovered that her bleeding stopped, fell at his feet trembling. There are as many descriptions of encounters with Jesus as there are Christians, but no one who was not made that encounter for himself will ever understand the wonder I wanted to jump, sing, dance, and join in the celebration that was going on in heaven in front of the angels. Big, bold, braying brass and spiced woodwinds striving with millions of desks of strings in a wonderful symphony of praise. However, I was still in Hong Kong and very much on earth, and standing before me, the clear-eyed triad looked expectant. He had brought a little brother, Sai Kung, with him, who had been there at the dawn discussion. Sai Kung did not want to discuss any more. He wanted to know how he could receive the power of Jesus, just like his big brother. So he too received Jesus and the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
I always told the boys that as they believed, Christ would give them the gift of a new tongue to help them pray, but I no longer expected it to happen automatically, as in Winston's case. These new believers accepted easily that if they were going to follow a powerful God, it would be quite in character for him to give a new language to help them talk to him. Every single one received this gift, so that there was no confusion about some being more spiritual than others. To avoid problems, whenever possible, I avoided laying hands on a young man, myself, but encouraged other Christian boys to do this, so that they would know that the gift came from God himself, and that even young Christians could pray with others to receive. Sai Kung looked radiant. He was a short, stocky individual who was not given to long speeches, but he warmly encouraged me to go back to Chaiwan the next night to talk with the others. I went back the next night and many nights afterward. We met in the back of a photograph shop or in the concrete park. Alexandra, doesn't this sound like the Apostle Paul going into Corinth or into Ephesus or into some other places, and he keeps going back because people want to hear about Jesus. Yes. It's very exciting. It is very exciting. She says the number of inquiries increased dramatically. We had Bible studies at noodle stores. Let me say one more thing. If, if as you listen to this message, you're excited, and you've received Jesus... Why don't you invite a bunch of your friends to come to your house and invite the two of us and we'll come to your house and we'll share in your house with your friends the gospel of Jesus and hear your testimony. We would love to do that with you. I'm going to give you our phone number, 703-489-1785. If you'd like to invite us to come to your home to speak to your friends about Jesus, we're happy to do that. Just call us, 703-489-1785. Jackie Pullinger continues, We had Bible studies at noodle stores, prayer meetings in camera shops, and evangelistic meetings on tenement staircases. Some of the Chaiwan gang joined the Lungkong Road home, and others joined the Willens's meetings. The work was expanding beyond the borders of the walled city to reach people in other areas. As was my custom, I asked the gang leader Jesus, now renamed Christian, to introduce me to his own big brother. I had the usual response. He won't want to talk to you. He's much too important. He controls many different areas besides Chaiwan and has hundreds of followers. If we want to speak to him, we don't even know where to find him. Sometimes we don't see him for weeks. He's too busy. Forget it. I learned that this emperor among gang leaders was named Ake. I agreed that I would not try to force a meeting with him, but Christian was under instructions to pray for him. And Gene and Rick also put in overtime on his behalf. We all had a feeling that Ake was to be an important part of our ministry. I carried around sets of Bibles ready for any emergency. 
The time was 12.15 a.m. The location, a Chaiwan street stall. The cast, Miss Poon, Christian, and the Chaiwan believers. The fluorescent lamps cast a hard pool of light against the blackness of the night. Ake emerged from the shadows. He was in a belligerent mood. Miss Poon, he challenged, although no one had introduced us. If you can convert me, I'll give you 1,000 disciples. <laughs> he enjoyed thus throwing down the gauntlet. Indeed, it was almost as if we were preparing for a duel as he stood there in his black leather gloves, sneering. I can't convert you, Ake, I replied. It was obvious whom I was talking to by the odd reaction of our seconds. If you believe in Jesus, then that is your decision. And you cannot tell your little brothers to believe in Jesus. They will have to decide this for themselves. We were in for a long night. Ake had heard rumors of what had been happening in Chaiwan. If there was going to be a revival, he wanted to control it. Sitting down at our table, he ordered dishes and dishes of expensive food and drink. He scattered his largesse, conspicuously inviting all around him to eat. He would make sure that we all knew how many hundreds of dollars he spent, how generous he was. He ate nothing himself and cared little if I were hungry or not. This was an exhibition. I showed him pictures of Amo looking fat and healthy now that he was off drugs. Ake knew him well, as they used to deal together. He became rather thoughtful, and after the meal he invited me to accompany him alone to a secret destination where he had something to show me. We began to walk toward the shantytown area, whose vice Ake controlled. He was carrying his Macintosh slung over one shoulder. Turning to me suddenly, he said, Miss Poon, do you look down on drug addicts? I thought that was a difficult question to answer without appearing condescending. No, I don't, Ake, because they are the people Jesus came into the world for. Are you willing to be friends with one? he asked, and both he and I knew to which one he was referring. Actually, the people in the walled city criticize me because I'm more willing to be friends with an addict than someone who thinks his life is all right, I replied. By this time, we had come to an unlighted path that led through the shanty shacks. We walked on in silence until Ake stopped by the outside of a tin hut. The darkness outside gave no hint of the brilliant lighting inside, and when Ake pushed through the blackout material curtain, I found myself staring at dozens of surprised gamblers. The door watchers came up to us. Although this was one of Ake's own dens, they were obviously worried by the presence of a strange western lady at three in the morning. Ake held up his hand for silence. There was a hush. Don't be afraid, he said. She doesn't look down on us. She's a Christian and has come to tell us about Jesus. He then gave me the floor and invited me to preach. <laughs> Afterward, he took me to his opium den next door. Inside, the den was a terrible spectacle. There were little gray and yellow old men lying on a low platform covered with grime and slime. There were half-empty cups of green tea and large spittoons filled with sordid saliva and sediment. The men lay like giant stick insects, more limbs than body, and half of them were insensible. 
The weatherman sitting at the door looked very alarmed until Ake spoke. He repeated what he had said before. Don't be afraid. She doesn't look down on us. She's a Christian. She's come to tell us about Jesus. All those who were actually conscious listened carefully to what I had to say, and when I left I gave them a pile of my Chinese Bibles and translations of The Cross and the Switchblade by David Wilkerson. To have spoken about Jesus in, these, in two of these dens was amazing itself, but after this, Ake became a determined evangelist. He insisted that together we visit more of his empire of drug, vice, and gambling dens. We traveled from Chaiwan to Shokiwan, and then visited Laimun, Kuntang, and Nagautukak. In each place, he introduced me as a Christian and each time I was heard with respect. It was an amazing journey into vice. I scattered Chinese Bibles as I went. In one of those dens, they brought me a man doubled up with pain. His face was contorted with suffering. Miss Poon, are you a doctor? Are you a nurse? Do you have any money? Can you take him to a hospital? He's in agony. They thought every Westerner was either rich or medically trained. No, I'm not a doctor or a nurse, and I don't have any money to take him to the hospital. But I'll tell you what I can do. I'll pray for him. They sniggered at this, but they agreed to find us a little room at the back where it was quiet. Then they stood around, waiting curiously to see what I was going to do. I'll pray for him on one condition, I announced. No one is to laugh, because I'm going to talk to the living God. Complete silence. I laid my hands on the sick man and prayed for him in Jesus' name. His stomach immediately relaxed and he got up, looking surprised. He'd been completely healed. Everyone else looked surprised, too. One of them asked, Is this the living God, the one you've been telling us about? They began to believe, because they saw through his works of power who Jesus was. At the end of the evening, it was nearly morning, I gave Ake a Bible and wrote in it, To Ake, my friend, I pray one day you'll be my brother. He might have laughed inwardly, Huh? Brother? Some hope. But he thanked me politely. He was still handing out favors. He had no intention of reading it. It was in fact strange that I had given him a Bible at all, knowing how such men hated to read. For the next three months, I followed Ake around. He had a wife and family, but he used to sleep wherever he found himself late at night, often on a staircase. He got so high on drugs one night that he even read two pages of The Cross and the Switchblade, two pages of Run Baby Run, and then two pages of the Bible in turn for two days. He began to confide in me, and told me how much he regretted marrying so young. He already had three children under five. My sympathy was rather with his wife for having a young family and a husband who never came home. Sometimes Ake would sleep for three days at a time. At other times, he would not sleep at all. During these binges, he would go through a fantastic amount of money. He was being fed drugs all the time by his gang members. God told me which staircase he was sleeping on, and after a while, each time I found him, he had a hunted look. Oh, it's not you again. I mean, how did you know I was here? 
Meanwhile, I had armies of Christians all around Hong Kong praying for him. This had to have an effect. One day when I caught up with him, he said, God's been talking to me. What do you mean God's been talking to you? I asked crossly. I was annoyed because I thought he was joking. Yes, God has been talking to me, he insisted. I've been reading in the Bible and it says he gives special grace to people like me. He almost preened himself at special grace. What do you mean by special grace? I inquired. It says in the Bible that if you sin the most, you get forgiven the most. He sounded so privileged that I almost felt jealous, but he was completely serious about this discovery and was ready to ask for the special grace. We were in a hut next door to the gambling den that he had originally taken me to. Ake sat down on the floor, and I sat down in the darkness too, hoping I avoided the cockroaches. We prayed together for the first time, and Ake asked Jesus to take his life and make him a new person. He believed that Jesus died for him, but at that point he had very little sense of sin and was still rather proud of his past. I rushed across the harbor to Meifu, where Jean and Rick were living. I knew they'd be delighted to meet Ake after praying for him for so long and even more pleased that he'd become a Christian. We had a party, a grand celebration of Ake's first birthday. Sarah, the Willens' Australian friend, and their daughter Susie were also there and shared in our gladness. We usually prayed at parties, and as Ake had not yet received the gift of the Holy Spirit, we told him that God gives this power to all who follow him. All of us sitting around began to pray together in the spirit, and when Ake heard this, he suddenly fell forward onto his knees with a terrible thump. Afterward, he told us that when he heard the tongues, he was knocked down by the awareness of his past life of robbery, drug pushing, and selling girls into prostitution. As he gained this terrible sense of his own sin, he felt that he could no longer sit in front of God. He had to kneel, and he began to pray in tongues. It was a near impossible sight of a triad boss on his knees. In Chinese culture, it's the most servile of positions, and a gang leader lowered himself to no one. As he continued to pray in tongues, the Willens' parrot, Sidney, triumphantly extricated himself from his cage and flying across the room landed on Ake's head. For some time afterward, Ake was rather confused about the Holy Spirit and doves since his had been a heaven-sent parrot. That same night, we took a taxi to a beach where Rick baptized Ake in the sea. I just want to point out quickly some remarkable things about this story. This all happened because Jackie Pullinger insisted on meeting the big brothers of the converts. She didn't tell them to go speak to their gang leader. She knew that they weren't ready to do that. But she went and she was willing to go at any hour of the night to any location. And this man was even unconverted for three months and yet was showing her around and asking her to preach in his dens before he was finally converted. And this is the kind of power that we're praying for and that we're praying for you to receive, that this would become our life and your life here in Washington, D.C., See, this is revival. Yes. This is what we mean when we talk about revival. We mean 
the open testimony that Jesus is Lord, that he died for our sins, and he calls us out of this casual, wicked American lifestyle of entertainment and self-centeredness to spend our lives for others, to call others to follow Jesus. This is what we're about. Does this touch your heart? Do you want to be a part of this? You're welcome to be. Well, we have only two minutes left in today's broadcast. We would love to hear from you. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel. We're Ray and Alexandra Greenlee. You can write to us at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Again, that's the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Please visit our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. That's nationalprayerchapel.com, where you can contact us, listen to this message again, or make a donation. You can also follow us on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. Just search for National Prayer Chapel. And we are a faith ministry, and we thank each of you who partners with us. We need to hear from you. The month is coming to a close, and the radio bill is going to have to be paid again. So, as you give, may God bless you. Thank you for your time today and your prayers. God bless you. We love you. We'll talk to you soon. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.